Hey there, and welcome to a Clean Bill of Wealth podcast. I'm your host, Galen Nuttall. Thanks for joining me today. This is a podcast where I cover topics of importance for Canadian physicians, sometimes financial and sometimes other aspects of life like health and well-being and relationships and side hustles. And if you haven't already, be sure to go to galenhelpsdocs.com to join the free financial literacy challenge for Canadian physicians. That's at G-A-L-E-N helpsdocs.com. Be sure to check it out. And if you've already done it, be sure to fill out the form at the end where you can claim your free prize after having completed the modules. That's a place online where I answer a lot of the top questions I get behind closed doors around financial planning for physicians. I cover a lot of the misconceptions and mistakes that I see people making. So be sure to check that out. And now on with the show. Welcome everyone to this episode of A Clean Bill of Wealth. I'm joined by Dr. Ken Milne. Uh, Thank you for being on the podcast, Dr. Milne. My pleasure. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, it's awesome. And so just a quick intro is that you are a, uh, so you're a staff physician at the South Huron Hospital Association in Exeter, Ontario, and you've been doing medical research for over 35 years, um, publishing on a variety of topics. And one of the reasons I reached out to you was because you um, have uh, the the SGEM, uh, is that the best way for me to say it? Is that the Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine? Yeah, we we just say the S gem. The S gem. Okay, I wasn't sure how the they're stuck together. So, got a podcast. Um, you got a website with tons of resources there. So, one of the reasons that um, we got introduced was I'm always interested in talking to doctors who are doing things either on the side of their career profession or sort of allied with it at the same time and how they're kind of pulling it off. So once I heard about podcasts and, you know, all the things you've got going on the side, I had to talk to you. So thank you so much for joining me. It's a pleasure to uh, have a chance to talk to you. And so one of the things I wanted to talk about was podcasts. You've been doing it since pretty early on in the, the world of podcasting. Like what one of the things I'm always interested in is like, you know, what, what attracted you to it? Um, like what got you interested in, in doing something and like taking the time out of or away for, or as part of your day to do something besides, uh, you know, family and work and all that? Well, I've been podcasting since 2012 when I started the Knowledge Translation Project, The Skeptic's Guide to Emergency Medicine. And, you know, being a physician, a large part of a physician's role is to educate. Uh, specifically, you know, hopefully to educate patients, to uh, provide them with informed consent. And so you have to have communication skills, you've got to understand the existing literature, and you've got to be a good listener. And when it came to uh, some of the information that was out there with regards to best practices and best evidence, really wasn't getting wasn't getting across. There's a a thing called a knowledge translation gap. And it's known that it can take over 10 years for high quality, clinically relevant information to reach the patient's bedside. And I was looking at that gap saying, geez, 10 years. I mean, there's Twitter. There is Facebook. Uh, Now there is TikTok. Uh, You know, uh, why is it taking more than 10 years? We can and we must do better. And so podcasting was a great intro into it as a platform to reach a wide audience using the same, uh, I guess, talk or discussion. And you could say, hey, 
uh, let's do it this way and not just reach an N of one. And that's in medicine. We talk about an N of one or in science, uh, an N of one. Let's reach tens, hundreds, thousands. And the the podcast has grown to more than 51,000 subscribers now. And it's just amazing what you can do with this medium because it doesn't cost a lot to get into it. Now, once you get into it, oh, it can cost a lot. Oh, fancy microphone. Oh, yes. Fancy equipment. And edit. Oh, yes. But it doesn't take a, like, I mean, when I first did it, I opened up my laptop, my, my laptop and started talking into my podcast. That was it, right? But it was such a powerful tool and leveled the playing field and you could reach such a wide audience and cut that knowledge translation window down from over 10 years to less than one year using the power of social media. So that's what got me into podcasting. That's awesome. And, and I mean, I love that idea of just taking that knowledge transfer from knowledge, like you said, 10 years from, from, from sort of this knowledge being generated to, to actually hitting the, the impacting the patients at the end level and shortening that substantially. Well, you want patients to get the best care based on the best evidence. And you want to be practicing at the top of your game, not 10 years ago. And in fact, the actual number is 17 years. Not that we can be that precise, but the paper that that was um, based upon was how long does it take for, uh, you know, things that we can all agree on. Yeah, we got good, solid evidence on it. It's high quality evidence. We should all be doing that. How long does it take until that actually happens? And the answer was, 17 years. Holy wow. smokes, that's a long time. And is that because it is that because the change doesn't occur until it's more of a systemic change or like why does it take so long? Well, there's lots of reasons uh that it can take a long time. <laughs> there's there's lots of funny quotes, you know. There's one from the guy uh who was the dean of the Harvard Business School or Harvard Medical School who said you know, half of what we're going to teach you is right. And half of what we're going to teach you is wrong. It's just the faculty doesn't know which half is which. Um, that's one of the reasons for knowledge translation gap. Another one was from a neurologist who takes, I think it said, takes a hundred years to get a right idea into medicine and 50 years to get a wrong idea out or vice versa. And then there was the Maxwell Planck one that said, you know, we don't convince people with new evidence and bold new ideas. And, you know, the data um, changes. No, the, the old guard has to die off and the new ones come in with the new ideas. So it's generational. Mm. Uh, and it shouldn't be that way. In mm. emergency medicine, which is my specialty, we do have a model that's put forth and it's called the leaky pipe model. And so at the top, you have this, this water container, this, this like water jug with this, oh, so good, so refreshing. In other words, high quality pure information. And then there are seven leaks that are described going from that water tank down to that glass of water for that thirsty patient. And those seven leaks um, uh, describe seven categories. And the first one is awareness. And so if your physician isn't aware that that paper exists or that method exists or that technique exists or that drug exists, how are they possibly going to incorporate it into their practice? So the first leak in the leaky pipe method or the leaky pipe model is awareness. And that's a lot of what um, my podcast does. It raises awareness about the best evidence out there. And, you know, you look at it, you go, 
a podcast, it's sort of like radio, right? And it's so powerful. Why, why did TV not replace radio? Why does radio still exist? It's because I've got some headphones in here right now. We're talking. And when people hear this, it's like they're talking to me. When I'm listening to a radio or listening to a podcast, it's like, Galen, he's talking to me. He's in my head. It's such a powerful, intimate medium that um, it's very effective. It's interesting. I, I'd never really thought of it that way, but um, it's funny because I did, um, whenever, whenever I've interviewed someone of who's like who I have listened to, like I was interviewed by the, or I got on a podcast that's, I'd listened to maybe dozen, dozens of this podcast and I got on, he had me on his podcast and we'd never met before, but I thought I knew the guy. Like, I mean, it just felt like I'd you, you welcomed him, really him well. into your room yeah. or in my case, I listened to a lot of them in my car Yeah, and I always say, turn your car into a classroom, but it's like, I'm traveling on the road with some of my best buddies that I've never met. Well, that's awesome. And I mean, it's great for multitasking. Like I have consumed probably hundreds of hours of content doing yard work and going for a jog and driving and all doing dishes or however many countless things. So, so yeah, I mean, I think you're just like you said earlier, I mean, it can be incredibly easy to start a podcast. I did an episode one time just to prove how fast I could do it. I downloaded an app, turned on my phone, logged in and just recorded it using something I already had in my pocket before I went the way of the fancy mic and the buttery uh, sound quality of the voice, um, as you were mentioning. So, um, uh, so let's talk a little bit more about. Um, well, let's talk about something that you, you know, you wanted to make sure we touched on because I want to make sure we touch on it. And because uh, before we got started, uh, so Star Trek. Star no? Trek. Yes, that was, was the, it. Star that Trek. Was that Is that what we were going to talk about? Yes, you said that, that I could the... talk about Star Trek all day long. That was the, that was the hot topic that you wanted to make sure we covered the Star Trek. <laughs> if we could only talk about Star Trek, that was my best chat. That was that was that was good. That was good. That was good chatter. Uh, Canadian boy, Montreal. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. James, Tiberius Kirk. Yeah, James Tiberius Kirk. Uh, yeah, I wanted to name our son Tiberius mm. until my wife found out that the Tiberius. I was like, oh yeah, and it's this famous, I think, Greek general's name, mm. you know, Tiberius. We could call him Ty for a nickname, and then she found out it was the T in James T. Kirk, and you know where that went. I have a oh, son like named just, Ethan. She just she just took it out. <laughs> <laughs> no Tiberius. Well my, <laughs> well, my next suggestion was uh, Zephram. She's okay. like, oh, that's kind of unique, Zephram. And I'm like, oh, yes, Zephram Cochran, the inventor of the first warp drive. Yeah. Didn't go. No. <laughs> I was aiming for Xerxes for our son because my wife said. Oh, uh, Xerxes, yeah, Persian 300. Descent. Yeah, I was like, Xerxes. <laughs> well, I really, I was going for Luke for Luke um, Skywalker, but um, uh, we were living in Venezuela oh, at the time. Because you could have gone, I am your father. <laughs> exactly. We were living in Venezuela. The yeah, time so that's what we really wanted yeah. to talk about, right? Science that's, fiction. That's where we're at. That was the hot topic. <laughs> Got that out of the system. So uh, on to the real hot topic um, that you wanted to make sure we talked about, which was uh, gender inequity pay in the field of medicine. Yes. Um, you know, <sighs> I'm clearly a middle-aged guy. And here I'm advocating for gender equity in the house of medicine because we have 
lots and lots of information that there's gender inequity in society, but it also takes place in the house of medicine and it takes place and it can be quantified with regards to financial uh, and amount of uh, money that physicians make. And so I'm following the Spider-Man philosophy here. This would be from Uncle Ben, who said, with great power comes great responsibility. And so I can use my white male privilege for great good or for great. So I'm going to use it for great good. And I'm uh, quite an advocate. I like to really speak up about this because in academic emergency medicine, I think the difference is about $13,000 a year. Uh, In medicine in general, it's $20,000 a year. Uh, If you look at uh, hospital organizations, uh, 80% of the workforce is female or identifies as female. And yet only, I think it's a single percentage, something like 6% of all um, chiefs of staff, uh, the heads of hospitals are female and only 3% of CEOs. So there's there's, there's work to be done. And I just want to make sure if we're talking on a financial podcast uh, and it's two guys hanging out talking about money, I think we, we really need to address that there is inequity and talk about, um, you know, that's the awareness part and then uh, focus on solutions. And Dr. Michelle Cohen wrote a great piece in the Canadian Medical Association Journal recently on this. And she has a number of ways that these inequities can be addressed. So I would point people to that and maybe I could fire off the link to that so you can have that. But there are tons of resources. But Dr. Cohen is is a Canadian expert in this area and I learned a great deal from her. Yeah, no, I'll definitely get that link um, out there because that would be interesting to look at. And one of the things I can't help but ask because I have I have not um, I have not done any research on this or any reading, so I'm coming from a complete um, not a lack of believing it's true because I mean that's it's not something that's surprising, unfortunately, uh, to hear. But like what you know, if you have any insight into like how does this come about, like because I, I don't I don't know for sure, but I don't I don't imagine that it's this conscious choice. But is it just like a is it a systemic thing? Is it a subconscious thing? Like what? What do you think happens to get to this point? Or what, is, what did Dr. Cohen say? I think, it, I think it's all of those things. I think mm. sometimes it is overt. Uh, sometimes it is conscious, but done in the doctor's lounge that used to be an old boys club. And, and uh, things that I don't think we should be too proud of. And then it's uh, also unconscious. So let's say you're scheduling meetings. Okay, so you're scheduling meetings and how people advance in their career. And as you advance in your career, that comes with more pay, right? And so if you're if you want to be at a meeting and participating in a meeting, they're often set just before the day starts or just at the end of the traditional work day. Mm. And we have um, we still have some fairly firm gender roles established in society. Who is getting the children up in the morning if the if it's a you know to uh, if it's parents and stuff like that getting them out to school and stuff like that or who let's say two physicians male and female husband and wife are working 
and then there's a meeting at the end of the day. This is going to be a way to you know promote and and advance your ideas and participate in in the uh, administration at a higher level. Um, but somebody's got to pick um, your son up from school. Who goes? Yeah. Is it fifty fifty? Probably not. I would suggest that it's probably not, and it's more likely to be the female member of that family unit. And so they can't participate. So it's not conscious that we're going to schedule the meeting and try to nudge women out. I think it's probably unconscious. Uh, but once you raise awareness about that, once you t- start talking about those things, um, you, can, you can address it. Uh, one of the things that's done in medicine is when we're uh, doing a sort of a Socratic method of teaching, we'll ask our trainees a number of questions. And that's been referred to as pimping. Okay. Well, that term is very offensive. Yeah. But until you're, until you're clued into, okay, you're pimping your students, you know, and how derogatory and how misogynist that is. And so now when that language comes up in, um, with me, and if I'm in the room, I'll go, can we, can we please just not use that term? You know, so, so language matters, scheduling, uh, you know, people will say, you know, when it comes to the billing codes, uh, again, I would encourage you to get Michelle on, sure. Dr. Cohen, to talk about it. And there, there I just did it because Michelle's a friend of mine. <laughs> but if you look at, they have a study on grand rounds. Mm-hmm. When they introduce the speaker for grand rounds, if you're a man, you're much more likely to be introduced as this is Dr. Ken Milne. And if you're a woman, you're much more likely to be introduced at the same grand rounds as, and Michelle will be speaking next. I have heard that. I'm not sure where right? I heard it. Maybe it was so I have the yeah. publication. And so even I can slip into that. And I, you know, Dr. Cohen is an expert in this area and she deserves the the respect and credit. She's also just a friend. So I'm referring to her by her first name, but I would encourage you to have her on and have a whole podcast about this because I just wanted to make sure. sure we raised this as a topic um, because we're talking money and medicine. Yeah. And I think when it comes to money and medicine, the awareness piece is what I can speak to. She has much more depth on this than I do. Got it. All right. Well, I'll definitely, thanks for the suggestion. I'll definitely have her on. And, you know, it's, um, and it's, I mean, definitely, I'm, I appreciate that you raised it. And, you know, it's interesting when you mentioned the whole, the idea of, let's just say, okay, we're going to have a meeting and it's going to be at eight in the morning or it's going to be at five o'clock at night. Like you're saying, the, for the average guy who may not be in charge of picking up children or dropping children, they'd be like, off. "Yeah, it's no big sure, deal. whatever." Like I'm okay. Golf I'm there. Or, I generalize. I don't play golf. <laughs> I'm there. Like it's I don't have a responsibility at that time, or I know that my spouse is taking care of that, and I don't have to, or my partner is taking care of that. And um, I did mention briefly before we started that I did um, an interview of a uh, New York Times bestselling author. She wrote a book called Fair Play about. Uh, rebalance in the domestic side of things like in the house and my wife and I went through this exercise of seeing how much we were each doing in the house and I uh, thought I was doing way more than I was until we sat down and looked at it and then I was sort of shocked at how uh, how it had kind of slipped away uh, over time so anyways it's another thing I recommend that's more on the domestic side less on the um, that's more on the household not in the uh, workforce but it bleeds over um, so it's definitely definitely a present um, so to talk, uh, so I definitely love the intro to 
to Dr. Cohen and to maybe uh, have a whole episode about that. And to go to the topic of finance, um, so you you have um, you started uh, a uh, event that's all about financial um, is it financial literacy for residents or for doctors? You were telling me a little bit about that the other day. Yes, when I was going through my residency, it became quite clear that I was undereducated uh, when it came to insurance, banking. Uh, do I lease a car? Do I buy a car? You know, all these questions that come up in life. Uh, sometimes they have a, another zero on the end of it as a physician. Like if you're starting a practice, do you buy a practice? Do you? Uh, does that happen anymore? Uh, how much will the bank loan you? Uh, should you should you take as much as you can get? What should you pay off first? All these questions, questions, questions. And I was undertrained in it. And this is a, this is a key thing. Just because you're a physician and you're super smart in one area, that does not necessarily translate to other areas. And you need to know the content, right? You may be able to learn that, but that's not where you spent the majority of your life's training. You were reading a bunch of medical books. So just have the humility <laughs> to know that. So there was a need there. And so I approached our program at Western University about it and got them on board to allow the senior residents, the, the final graduating residents group, it's about 30, uh, to have the weekend off. No commitments. Every single one of them would have no clinical commitments. And then I uh, put out a call to a, a number of these uh, financial services, whether they were malpractice insurance or car insurance or uh, financial investing, uh, things like that, and got them and had their experts come. And we, we went up on a Friday uh, afternoon evening and had a social event just to ease into it and meet everybody and get comfortable. And then Saturday and Sunday had full-on education weekend. And that was... Sorry, I've got to carry the three. Now I'm going to have to take off my shoe now because I'm counting more than 10. Yeah, 25 years ago. Like, unbelievable. It was 19... Yeah, well, sorry, I guess. Yeah, it was 1996. That's 25, 25 years ago. And so we did it. It was a huge success. It was such a, hey, you have questions about that too? You're struggling? And nobody wanted to sort of admit that they <clears throat> weren't financially literate. And, uh, and, and so we ran it the first year. Um, and I say we because my wife is an expert at uh, event management, and that was what her second degree was in. And so she was actually currently at the time, I think, was she working for a, a, a event management company? So she was able to organize it. I didn't. I was the figurehead. And uh, I was more of a participant. I wanted to learn. And, uh, and then we ran it the second year, and then we turned it over to the university, and it's just been a huge success. That's very cool. And, you know, it's interesting because I've, um, I've interviewed residents, med school students, um, physicians on this podcast and um, interviewed a med school student. And she said, you know, in th she said, I thought at one point that I should have learned this in med school. But then she said, what would they have replaced it with? Like, would I learn less about, you know, how to treat someone who's in cardiac arrest and more about 
investing? You know, like what would, how would we do this? Well, I, I, need <laughs> so, a, I need an upgrade up here because if, if you put some of that stuff in, yeah, something is going to necessarily gonna fall out. out. <laughs> yeah. And I, so, I mean, it's interesting. I'm, I, so I was listening to a podcast out of the States of a doctor and um, he was asked this question and I'd be interested to see how you answer it. But do you think there's uh, a, a stigma attached to as a physician needing to ask for help in this arena or pulling back the curtain and saying, this is what's going on. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's sort of a chicken and egg question maybe, or even a gender question, you know, cause it, uh, traditionally it was men, but now more than 50% of new graduates are women mm-hmm. and are, are men more or less likely to ask for help? Are more men, are men more or less likely to stop and ask for directions? <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I think that 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 probably has something to do with it. I'd I'd like to see a reference or a citation to back up this general impression because I'm the evidence based medicine guy, so I don't like shooting from the hip. Uh, but I think that there's probably a component. I haven't had that. Uh, my wife is brilliant. Mm-hmm. Uh, financially, she's much more literate than I am. She runs her own business. And I defer financial stuff to her. Um, and I defer to her expertise because she knows more about it. It's it's what she does. Um, so maybe I haven't had as much of a problem asking for help. And then that extends to other areas in my life. So yeah, I can't fix my computer. I just, just make my contacts sync with my phone and I give it to someone and just please, you know, I'm not going to sit there and pretend that I'm, I'm the genius at the genius bar doing that. No. Um, same thing with fixing the car. So I, I, I think the best, the best advice I got about the financial stuff Mm -hmm. when I was graduating and it came from my wife and her family was you need to put a board of directors together. You know, uh, like think of it as you're putting your board together. You may be the CEO because it's your life and your financial planning, right? It may be you're the CEO and you get to make the final decision, but you need to surround yourself on your board with highly intelligent people. So you need someone who knows financial planning, who knows the banking market, who can talk to you about insurance, a person who can, you know, a lawyer, an accountant, you need that board of directors around you. And, and it's, um, it really, it really can uh, be an excellent way to uh, be financially healthy. Yeah, I like that. I like that analogy of the board of directors because I do have a friend in the states who he's a financial planner and he's like, "I'm your CFO. Like, I'm your personal CFO. I'm the guy." Yeah, and you, and you can be the finances. CEO of your life. Yeah, <laughs> right. But you, but you need your your chief uh, uh, operations officer. You need your information officer. You need your insurance officer. Your accounting officer. Your financial officer. You need all of those people on your board. Yeah, for sure. And you and, interview them and you interview them, right? Like, yeah, you, you go around and interview them and feel, a, is it a good fit? Are you guys on the same path? Uh, do you have the same philosophy towards what you're trying to achieve? Bring them on. And sometimes it's worked out and sometimes we've parted ways with people. Yeah, for sure. Well, and it's interesting because sometimes I'll talk to people and um, they don't necessarily understand that how many people they need on that board director. So just as an example, I'll talk to people and I'll say, I'll ask, talk to a doctor about what I do and they'll say, well, I already have an accountant. And I'll say, yeah, well, your accountant might be my client too, because I have accountants who come to me for financial planning because they understand the 
taxation of a corporation, but they don't necessarily understand how to invest or how to, you know, long-term planning or long-term retirement planning or how to create a pension and all those things. So, well, there's, there's different types of financial planning too. Just like you can say, well, I have a doctor. Well, maybe you need a cardiologist because you have a heart condition. Maybe you need an endocrinologist because you've got a thyroid condition or diabetes. Maybe you need an orthopedic surgeon because you've got old man knees and need a total knee replacement. Um, you know, so like, you know, you can have your general practitioner um, who's phenomenal, who has tons and tons of breadth, but sometimes you'll need a lot of depth in one area and you'll need a specialist. And that's how I view it. And one thing I will say around the um, the question of like, is there a stigma attached to asking for help or is there, um, I, as you mentioned, you're the evidence guy. Um, I did ask, uh, I, had a, I, put a, I had a friend who's a physician put a, or, and a client put a survey in a financial planning Facebook group for physicians. And one of the questions was, um, you know, uh, where are you at with financial planning? I've got it figured out. Uh, you know, um, all the way down to I'm really confused and I don't know where to start. And uh, I would do something, but I don't know who to trust. Uh, more than half of the people that answered it were in that spot of, um, I don't know what to do and I'm not sure who to talk to about it. And I do think, I mentioned this to a few people and they said, oh, I'm kind of, I think that they assumed that everyone else had it figured out. I'd say that that's a common thing I hear is where they just feel like money's not something we talk about, but I feel like the people around me all have it figured out more than I've got it figured out. And I think it's not true. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, so uh, you know, put and, anyone's mind at ease. <laughs> there was a lot of people that answered that way in that group of, I don't know what to do next. And I wish I did. And I, and I wouldn't want to disparage physicians in general, but boy, there, there are a lot of physicians that are not financially healthy, that don't understand that and live beyond their means. And uh, so from an exterior viewpoint, it can be like, wow, they're, they've got it all, don't they? Well, and it might just be a house of cards. Yeah. It's definitely, it's definitely across the board. I mean, I've met uh, behind closed doors, all sorts of different professions who are in a similar boat around, you know, appearances versus, you know, fact, but I will say that, um, I think one of the thing, one of the challenges I see is when I'm helping someone transition from residency to practice, and it is of like give yourself some time to really get a feel for what expenses are like, what income is like, because a resident can go from making you know a certain amount to making various multiples of that amount. Uh, oh, it's, in it's one an order year. of magnitude. Yeah, it's yeah. an order of magnitude. Go to go from sixty thousand dollars a year to six hundred thousand dollars a year. That's a pretty steep vertical asymptote. Yeah. And I talked to a, a client who just did this a couple months ago and she, the word she used was surreal. She's like, this is kind of surreal to go from, you know, as a resident going from 60 a year to 65 to then 68 then to 72 and then boom overnight to just like you're saying. So it's definitely something I, I help you with. And it's like, look, let's not, let's pretend you didn't go all the way to 600 let's pre, or, or 300 or 250, whatever the number might be. Let's pretend you only went to, you know, let's drop that number by 20 ish percent and save some of that for future you. Oh, rather than what I was all. told. And, and I'd love, I'd love your impression on this because it's something that was told to me. And I certainly don't give out financial advice because I'm not a financial planner. I have no expertise in this area. This is something that was told to me, and I'm wondering, you as an expert, how do you think of this as a general concept? I was told to live a year behind. And so if you are 
you know, going from medical school to residency and residency. Now you start having an income, live like you're a medical student for one more year. And when you go from a resident to being a, phys- uh, to being a full attending or, or, you know, graduating from residency, live like you're a resident for just another year. Like, you know, uh, do you really need that vehicle? Do you really need the house right away? You know, and there, is that, is that good advice? Is that reasonable general advice? Yeah, I, I definitely like that advice in general in the sense of, like I said, I like, I, I tell people, like, give yourself a buffer of a year to figure things out in this new scope of things because you've got, maybe you're figuring out, I mean, how to run a practice, how to, you know, how, how you fit in with this new group of doctors. I mean, so many things are being figured out. There's definitely um, this idea of live like a resident. So there's some people who are really keen on getting, you know, very early retirement. So they live like a resident for a long time and then start, you know, sort of living up to their salary. Definitely a year, I think, is a great idea for for balance and for like perspective. I think it's a really good idea. But what I'd say is even more important is if someone doesn't choose necessarily to live like a resident for a year or two or three, if you are going to live like a resident, do something with that buffer because what I say to people is you're not tech like in my, my approach to uh, saving is you haven't technically saved it unless you've put it somewhere. Like my wife and I will cut, you know, cut a subscription out of our life and we'll say, Oh, we just saved $200 a month. It's like, well, not really because we're not taking that 200 and putting it somewhere else. It's still just in the general, you know, <laughs> coffer that's going to get used up. So I like the idea definitely giving someone some buffer of time to, to, to adapt. Um, but the bigger the bigger thing I would say in general is like, yeah, start looking at putting away, you know, it's hard to do a ballpark because there's so many factors that that impact it. But like like I said, if someone jumps from the resident of seventy thousand up to like two fifty, look at putting twenty percent of that away from the get-go. And most of my clients don't like budgeting. Um, it's either because I don't attract people who like budgeting or it's not common, but I say to people, look, I'm going to show you what you need to put away to get what you want. And you can just do what you want with the rest. Like you've got this whole other pot to deal with and do what you want with, like do what you will with it. So yeah, I'd say it's generally good advice for as sort of an adaptation period. And then also to get into that habit of not necessarily just bumping up the expenses to match the uh, salary. Yes, you can always live up to uh, <laughs> the income. That's for sure. Yeah, the hard part is is to, to having the discipline to to budget. Oh, absolutely, and that's why it's like I I do what's called reverse budgeting, where I'm like, when someone tells me, okay, I want to retire at sixty, making this much, I say, great. This is how much you're going to have to put away and do what you want with the rest. And um, I was even I was featured in the Globe and Mail about this concept of lifestyle creep. Of you know, and I'm a perfect example of this. My wife and I moved to Canada. She was working. I wasn't. I would splurge on Timmy's twice a week because it was a splurge because we went to the single income household. Then when I got a job, suddenly I started buying Starbucks because I was like, well, now I'm working. And But that can happen. The coffee doesn't really matter, but it's when that happens to the coffee and the house and the vacations and the car <clears throat> and the, the things I do with friends, when it happens to every facet of life, that's when it's going to cause problems. Yeah, I appreciate the question. wasn't wasn't uh, planning on answering any questions. <laughs> well, I, I I do like to make it interactive and learn, and I'm going to use this as a learning experience as well. Because <laughs> even though I've been out for 25 years, there's more every day. There's more to learn. I love learning. So, yep. 
No, that's very cool. That's awesome. And so one of the things I'm going to ask um, is around, you know, uh, the, the, the project you have, um, the, the podcast, like all these things you have going on. You know, I think one of the one of the first things most people would ask is how do you find the time to do it? Um, and then, yeah, I'll just say that. Like, how do you find the time to do it? Is there a do you, do you live a charmed life where you've got all this extra time or we talked a little bit about this before, before we, uh, the last time we spoke. Well, I, I think it's, if it's something that you really want to do, there's, there's, there's a fixed amount of time, obviously, right? There's a fixed amount of time. And so if it's something that you really care about, like you call it a passion project, I love teaching. I love doing this. I love reading. I love research. I love talking about, you know, I love talking nerdy. I'm just an uber nerd. And so, uh, yeah, could I have done this project, this knowledge translation project when the kids were little? No. Yeah. I mean, it, it was just keeping my, keeping my eyes above water was just so difficult. You know, three children working full time, my wife's working full time and it's everything we can do not to be like, you know, uh, I was, classic classic for you know it's daddy story time and most of the time the kids would have to come down and mom dad fell asleep again while i'm reading you know i don't like green eggs and ham doing all the silly voices Uh, you know so it was exhausting it was wonderful and i miss that time and the platform rocker just going back and forth and yeah, passing out. <laughs> you know, passing out on the platform rocker with a baby <laughs> asleep and me asleep. Yeah. Um, so, you know, my, our children are 22, 20, and 17. So they're all adults now. And, uh, you know, as much as they do want to spend time with us, they're, they are, they're busy too, and they, they have school and commitments. And so they don't need as much attention. So a lot of the time that um, became available to do this knowledge translation project happened eight years ago. So, uh, you know, Ethan would have been 14. So 14, 12. And, uh, you know, so it's a lot easier to get that going when, when you're not just around bodily habits, you know, okay. (laughs) Diaper needs to be changed. People need to be fed. People need to be bathed. People need to be put to bed, you know, and, and you can't leave them alone. Right. And they need supervision. And I, you know, one of the things I did when the kids were little is on Tuesdays, I would volunteer at the, um, at the daycare where they went to. Cause again, my wife was working full time and I would take Tuesday, uh, off. Uh, I worked in a small town and, uh, you know, doctors traditionally would take a day off or a half day off during the week because they'd be working on the weekend as well. And so, what I would do is I would go to the children's school and volunteer there. Uh, and again, do story time and snack time and go on adventures outside. <laughs> I still remember tapping the maple trees in the yard for them and, for, you know, uh, doing maple syrup, making maple syrup for these little three-year-olds and stuff. It was just so much fun. Right. But the, you know, it depends on what stage in life you are and when you can do things and things just came together with the technology uh, and my availability and stage in life that I could do it. Yeah. Very cool. So it's like there's stages of life where you might be able to pull something like uh, a passion project off and there's other stages where it might not be as, might not be as. Yeah, no. And uh, like, yeah, you you certainly, 
you know, and, and my passion projects will be different than other people's passion projects. We talked about, you know, uh, training for marathons and Ironmans and stuff like that. Those are really time intensive things. And if that's your passion project, you, you know, uh, you can't do it at certain stages of life or um, you're going to take away from other important things. And then you have to decide um, where that balance is. And I'm not saying I get the balance right. I, I don't, but, um, but trying, always trying to balance it is important. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, no, those are because we did, we did find out we had that in common where um, I, I do triathlons. Well, this year, 2020, I didn't do any, but um, my excuse was that there weren't any official ones. But then you told me that and you're, uh, pre, you know, when you were doing these, it wasn't an excuse. You just did them on your own. Yeah, just self-supported every weekend. An Olympic distance triathlon every weekend. And and it was, and the kids, the kids were when I was doing that in the last. So that was three years ago when I stopped. Two years ago, yeah, three years ago when I stopped that. For that decade, when I was doing it every weekend in the summers, the kids were teenagers or, or so, and they were sleeping in on Saturday morning. Yeah. So, you're not right? so I would get up, I would get up at six 30 and hit the lake at seven for the 1.5 uh, K swim. And then the 40 K bike ride followed by the 10 K trail run. And I'd be home by 10 o'clock in the morning when they're getting up and we're making pancakes and I'm having a second coffee and breakfast with them. Very cool. Very cool. And how, you know, one of the things I am interested in is passion. I mean, I'm a big fan of, um, like Joseph Campbell's work around following one's bliss. And I mentioned when I uh, interviewed Eve Rodsky, New York times bestseller, and she is big on something called unicorn space, which she feels that everyone needs to find at least some time in, in their life to pursue something that lights them up. So as an example, um, you know, listening to a podcast might be self care for someone, but creating a podcast would be like this unicorn space where they're involved in a creative pursuit eating a piece of cake could be self-care, but making the cake could be unicorn space. So do you think it's helped just in the sense of like that you've been passionate about this, that it's that then it has helped you find the time or find the ways to make it happen and keep it going. Yeah. And once you, once you start doing it, you'll know from the podcasting side of things, you know, there it's easy to get into it and then you start going, okay, well I want it to be good. And then, so there's a learning curve, especially if you're doing your own editing, you know, sound editing and stuff like that. But then once you get the system up and running, it actually, it, um, you, there's efficiencies there for sure. There's efficiencies yeah. with regards to, you know, oh, okay, now I know how to use this editing software. I, I just had to um, I do a video recently for the university and to, I was using this older software for video editing and, you know, I knew how to do it and where the mouse buttons were and click, 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 that kind of stuff, but it just wasn't satisfying. And so I I found myself the other day, you know, downloading this amazing product for video editing and watching a lot of YouTube channels and educating myself up and spending a whole day figuring that out. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I mean, but, I but it was time consuming. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I find, but, but now I could just put something together. Like, yeah, I find a lot of times, I mean, cause I have helped people start side hustles and I have helped people pursue passions. And I find that a lot of times, and certainly in my case, I've just made it to be more difficult than it needed to be in the sense that I think for probably a year, I said I was going to have a podcast and it wasn't until the day I said, well, I'm just going to start it that I actually just went for it. And just like you said, the first ones were probably, I could, if I were to go back and listen to them, I just, 
have all sorts of issues. Yeah, I'd do the face palm that you're doing right now around the editing or the questions or the the, the anything yeah. the cadence. I, I uh, love listening to the to the start. Of, you know, the very first ones. Welcome to the <laughs> Skeptics Guide to Emergency Medicine. Meet them, greet them, treat them, street them. You know, <laughs> now it's like, hey, welcome to the SJM. Meet him, greet him, treat him, and street him. Today's date is January nineteenth, twenty twenty one. Yeah, big difference for sure. Yeah, and I'm like that. I have a YouTube channel, uh, White Canadian Whiteboard Finance, and definitely in the early days, I was like following a script and like doing all this stuff, and it was uh, it was it was fine. Like it was the stage I needed to go through to then refine my approach. But I, I think what you're getting at is when, when you're starting, you're thinking both of the content and the the medium, right? And now we're at the point where, you know, having this big microphone in front of me doesn't intimidate me right. having the technology and knowing about the, uh, now I can just focus in on having a conversation with you and the content is the most important thing. And yeah. I, and, and I'm not inhibited by the other stuff. Awesome. Absolutely. Cool. Cool. Well, this has been amazing. Um, we've talked about all sorts of things. I didn't know we'd talk about you asked me we talked about Star Trek, talk about Star Trek, Spider-Man, triathlons, gender inequity in the house of medicine. Uh, what else? <laughs> and, and putting together a board of directors, putting together a board of directors and the, the delay things by a year concept, which I like, I like very cool. No, I appreciate your time. Ken, um, this has been awesome. It's been awesome to hear about what you're up to, how you got to where you've gotten to. You give me some ideas of other future episodes that I will definitely do. And uh, any last words of uh, wisdom before we part? Uh, be skeptical. Nice. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Hey there, thank you so much for having listened to this episode. I'm honored that you took time out of your busy day to listen to this, or maybe you're multitasking like I do when I'm driving or doing yard work and listening to podcasts. So I hope you got a lot out of it. As always, feel free to check out the free financial literacy challenge for Canadian physicians that I have put together. You can hop on over to galenhelpsdocs.com to check that out. G-A-L-E-N helpsdocs.com. And if you've already taken it, be sure to fill out the form at the end so you can claim your free prize. That's a place where I cover a lot of the misconceptions around financial planning for Canadian physicians, and then also cover a lot of the top topics and questions I get asked behind closed doors by doctors who want to understand more what they should be doing for retirement and how to manage their corporation. So perfect. Feel free to check that out. Again, thank you so much for having joined me and take care.